Welcome to Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We are so glad you decided to join us today. We know you're going to be encouraged, inspired, and challenged by this powerful sermon. This is pretty powerful today because this chapter in Revelation, we're going to be in chapter 5, is uh, a real pinnacle chapter. And in the depth of it, what you need to get out of it is, if there's one simple thing you can get out of it is, man, he is worthy of our commitment, and he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our sacrificing our life for him, because he's the only one we're going to see in a minute, that's able to do what needs to be done. So chapter 5, pretty much verse by verse, but we'll do this quickly. This is powerful. Verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. So John's saying he's in chapters uh, 1 through 4, he had this glorious scene of the Father and his throne, and now his attention is drawn to this scroll, or some versions say book, um, held in the Father's hand, actually in the right hand. And he says, I saw. If I, and some, one, inter- one interpreter, one commentator said, if Isaiah 53 can be said to be the holy of holies of the Old Testament, then perhaps Revelation chapter 5 holds that honor in the New Testament. He's worthy, if you're a believer, he's worthy of you being in church to honor the things of God. He's worthy of you. Again, I watched an Instagram thing. I saw 30,000 people jumping up and screaming, yay, to a, at a Tony Robbins event. We get people coming to church and they sleep through the sermon. Um, and when you read this chapter, you'll realize, man, if it wasn't for him, I have no hope. So he's worthy of everything that I can I can give him. Uh, in the right hand, I saw in, him, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book. Right hand means the side of favor and strength. This is the side at which Jesus is sitting, awaiting his kingdom and making intercession for his church. But that time is coming to a close where he will no longer be sitting. He's going to get up. And when he gets up, and he gets the scroll, that's it. All hell on earth is going to be unleashed. Um, It's powerful stuff to me. So Jesus is seated with and shares the power and reign of the Father. And this long period of waiting while he remains seated is about to come to an end. So on the throne, that's the position from which the Father rules the affairs of his universe. The throne pictures both sovereignty and judgment. So he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And John, or the Holy Spirit, many times had him share, um, uh, were were the people reading, uh, the Romans, the Jews, would get a a literal, okay, I understand that, because I know that's how we put our scrolls together. So he writes things that's commonplace to people, which is really interesting. A book or scroll, Greek word biblion, scroll is a form of an ancient will. It's typical of contracts in the ancient world, including deeds and marriage contracts and wills. So it says it's written on the inside and on the back. So the inside of the scroll contains all the details of the contract. And we're going to find out in the coming weeks what was, what's in the scroll 
And it, it ain't good if you're not right with Christ. And the outside of the back contained a summary of the document. So, and it was sealed up with seven seals. And it's true that Romans sealed their will seven times on the edge at each roll to prevent unauthorized entry. So to, they, they can see that, okay, I get this. There's, a, there's this scroll that's been set up this way. And until the seals are broken, the contents of the scroll are inaccessible. They remain an unrevealed mystery, but they will soon be taken from the Father's hand. The number seven is found the symbolism of completion. So within these seven seals are found all the judgments to be poured out upon the earth and the earth dwellers as part of the redemption of creation and the lamb taking dominion over the earth. Amen. All seven seals enclose the scroll as a unit. You have the seals, you have the bowls, and you have the trumpets. But that's for a later time. Verses two and three. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals. Imagine that voice going out all you know through the expanse of heaven, that, the sound of that thundering voice. And it says in verse 3, And no one, somebody say no one, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, he's making a point, it's the entire universe, no one, was able to open the book or even to look into it. No one. So this mighty angel shouts out this challenge for anybody to come forth who feels they're worthy to open the scroll and its seals. All creation in heaven under the earth. So no one had authority and virtue for such a task. Think about it. You got Michael, you got Gabriel, you got all, the, all, all of the um, uncounted thousands of other angels. They're, angels are all silent. You got Paul, you got Isaiah, you got Jeremiah, you got Daniel, you got Elijah, you got Solomon, you got Ezekiel, Peter, and all the rest of the apostles. None of them say a word. Everybody's silent because everybody knows they're not worthy of this task. Because only Christ has the necessary qualifications. Only Christ had perfect judgment. This is the great thing about Jesus. He has, this great, he has this perfect combination of justice and compassion. So he, he extends mercy, perfect mercy, but yet while not flinching from exacting perfect justice. And that's where people always say, why is there such a mean God? He's not mean. He's a God of perfect justice, and he's a God of perfect mercy. He's going to give everybody a chance to come to Christ before all this happens in Revelation chapter 6. Perfect mercy, but there's coming perfect justice. He's also the only one with the relationship to mankind that he has. So dominion has to be restored by the perfect man, and that's Jesus. He's the only one that has right of possession. Um, the possession was lost, but he paid the price with his, uh, he, when he redeemed us. The price to redeem a world lost to the ravages of sin was a shedding and demanded the shedding of truly innocent blood. So he has the only one. He's the only one worthy of the right of possession of the earth. And he's the only one with the ability to possess. He has the right to possess, but the right to possess is meaningless without the might to possess. So Jesus, no one else opens their mouth. So this strong angel's challenge to find someone worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals, which was much more than to ask for someone capable of revealing the world's fate. But it's not just one who is able, but one who is able to set it in motion, accomplish it, and bring it to pass. 
And only Jesus is able to do that. It's only entrusted to one who is completely worthy. And then this is powerful. In verse 4, John writes, Then I began to weep. And he says, weep greatly. Because who's able to, who's able to open the book? Who's worthy? All the, the announcement goes to heaven, and he's saying that nobody... So he weeps greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. Um, weeping greatly, it just shows the significance of the scroll and the great need for it to be opened and have its contents read. But he's, saying, he's weeping thinking no one's able to do it because he's realizing this has to be done. There's no one that can do it. So there's this overwhelming sadness that attends any future which continues apart from redemption. If God had not sent Jesus at his own initiative, mankind would have forever and completely remained lost with no hope. People who mock God, people who mock Jesus, if it wasn't for Christ, we would have no hope. So John saw, he knew that if no one was found worthy and able to take this from the hand of God and to break the seals, he knew this, that all the promises of the prophets and all the hopes of the saints must fail. He knew what was he knew what this meant if this remained unopened. Verse 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book. And it's seven seals. So God revealed that the ruler would be like a lion, an offspring of Judah. Jesus was born in the line of Judah. Root of David means he was born in the line of David. He's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. God made an unconditional covenant with David where he swore. Remember, he swore his throne would be established like the sun and moon. And at the present, there is no throne of David, but there is coming that throne when the work has been completed. Amen. And where it says, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals, Jesus has overcome the world by paying the ultimate price of shedding his blood and thusly, so let me say thusly, has gained the right to take possession of the earth away from them and then rule as the last Adam. Only Jesus. Amen? So as each of these seals is going to be loosed, there's an additional judgment is brought upon the earth. So what we got to look at as we go on, much of what follows in this book from here on out must be understood in the context of the overthrow of Satan's kingdom. Remember, he's the prince of the power of the air right now. Um, Jesus is going to get all that back, right? Uh, setting up, prior to the setting up of God's kingdom on earth. So how many of y'all have ever heard of the 70th week in the book of Daniel? 70th week is the, is the week of tribulation. So by the end of the 70th week, the tribulation, Satan and his forces, now here's Satan thinks he's going to get this big battle thing. He gathers all his forces, they're going to be drawn, all the rulers and on the armies of the world are drawn into the land of Israel for the battle of Armageddon. So to me, this is not allegorical, this is literal, this is going to really happen. This is going to take place at Christ's second coming, you're coming back with that and will pit Satan and his ungodly allies against Christ and his forces, and you will be part of that. 
This will be Satan's ultimate challenge to Christ's right to take tenant possession of the earth and rule it. And in verse 6 it says, And I saw, this is powerful, and I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So when John turned, he didn't see a lion yet. He saw a lamb because he couldn't be the lion until he first became the lamb. And this is the true Passover lamb. Jesus is the true first Passover lamb. Lamb of God to purchase redemption. The lion of Judah to bring forth judgment. He's not some pansy waste. He's coming back again. And all those who have mocked him and died in their mockery or who are left on this earth still mocking, he's not coming back as a lamb anymore. He's coming back as a lion of Judah and he's bringing with him judgment. Every earth dweller, everyone dwelling on this earth that does not know him and did not believe in him, he's bringing back judgment. Time is over. Everyone had a chance. So in Revelation, the name lamb, or it's literally the Greek word is little lamb, is used more often than any other name or title of Christ. And John called him lamb 28 times. Standing, which says he's standing. So the lamb has been sitting for a while, right? Having been seated at the right hand of the Father for a millennia, he now rises. And the time of sharing the Father's throne is rapidly drawing to a close because once he takes the scroll... As the root of David, he will initiate a series of irreversible events which will result in the establishment of the Davidic kingdom upon the earth. I believe this is still coming. This is not in the past. This is literal, and it is on its way. Amen? It says, as if slain. Of course, that's metaphorically of his atoning death as the Lamb of God. Um, having seven horns. That's not some weird you know, movie image. It's, there's a reason here. The horn is symbol, biblical symbol denoting power or government. The seven, again, it indicates the, uh, the complete power of Christ and the finality of his kingdom. That's why seven horns. Why seven eyes? Well, this is a good one too. Complete omniscience. He's all wise with complete knowledge of all that is hidden so that he can exact perfect just judgment. Seven horns, seven eyes, talking about completeness, completeness and wisdom, and completeness with the ability, complete knowledge of all, because he can't, extra, he can't bring perfect judgment if he doesn't know everything about whoever. He knows everything. And know this as you're sitting here today, he knows everything you do, Everything you say, he knows the intent of your heart. Amen. But he's a graceful, he's a graceful savior. God's graceful. He'll give us grace in that as we make mistakes as believers. We can go to him, confess it, and make it right. But he knows everything. Which is extremely terrifying, but scary. Or not. Um, seven spirits. Well, there's seven spirits. No, the seven spirits again is completeness. Seven is a number of completeness. So John is identifying the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God. There's only one, but he's talking about the completeness of the spirit. Amen? The fullness. It says they were sent out into all the earth. In verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's pretty self-explanatory. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, what did they do? They fell down before the Lamb. If they're fallen, you're fallen. No one's going to be standing. You're going to be falling on your face. I would imagine. I'm not speaking allegorically or literally, but I would imagine if they're doing it, then how humbling is that going to be? How much are you going to feel like you don't even want to stand in His presence after what you realize He did for you to get you where you are? Amen? So it says that 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp in golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Wow. When he had taken the book, the Greek word conveys a dramatic action in the tense of that word taken. It's, it, it's as if it means he went up and took it, and now he has it. Took the scroll out of the Father's hand. He initiates these actions. So while, while the world slumbers below, oblivious to the thief, approaching in the night and it's coming without any notice i've talked to people here before and they listen to people who try to figure it out well maybe 2050 no one knows it could be tomorrow we don't know right so don't get caught up in all that so as jesus initiates these actions people are slumbering without realizing he's coming this is going to all end and the chance is over and so in the scene before us, Christ is not on the Father's throne, so the age of intercession has come to a close. Now we're going to see him acting in an entirely new character. The church age is over. This is now the prophecy of the future. Everything has been set in motion as he rises. Just picture that. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. John is getting this image. Who's giving it to him? Holy Spirit's giving it to him. So he's writing down what he sees. Um, and in that, we need to remember that he's worthy of our worship. So if this book does nothing else to you but make you overwhelmingly uh, in love with Christ and overwhelmingly understanding the profoundness of the fact that he's holy and he's the only one worthy, it should change our entire life the way we lived before him. So there's this pivotal moment in history, second only to the crucifixion and its importance. He takes the scroll, marks the initiation of the ushering into the promised kingdom. There is a kingdom that we are going to be a part of. Amen? On this earth, this is starting the process. So when we come back the second time with him, tribulations happening first and the second coming, we're coming back to establish his kingdom on earth. And we're going we're to be a part of that. If you don't know how to ride a horse, you will know how to ride a horse then. Because that's how you're coming back talks about um isn't it interesting the majesticness of horses how they're used all throughout the bible that's definitely a god animal so god has waited in patience so that all would come to him and would respond even since the cross where the cost of sin was paid in full justice has slept due to grace but there's coming a time when justice will be enacted Everybody wants to cry out, grace, grace, grace. Let me do what I want to do. 
well, there's going to come a time you're going to realize, I wish I wouldn't have done so much of what I did. <laughs> um, if you're a believer, I mean, I know you made it, but I don't know how that's going to work. But <laughs> again, I don't want to barely get in if there's a, such a thing. I want to have run my race right. So once he takes the scroll from the Father's hand, the die is cast. And the program leading to the redemption of the created order, it now moves in rapid succession. Once he takes the scroll, it's happening. There's no gradual conversion of the world to Christ, but the initiation of a dramatic, cataclysmic intervention to reject Satan and unrepentant earth dwellers. He's exacting justice. So then it says, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Four living creatures. These are cherubim. Uh, those angels that are frequently referred to in the Old Testament in connection with God's presence, God's power, and God's holiness. 24 elders. Their joint rule with Christ, their white garments, and their golden crowns all seem to indicate that these 24 represent the redeemed. Important point. And look what they did. If they're representing the redeemed, what did they do? They fell. They fell before him. So we see this from their joint rule, their white garments, and their golden crowns. It seems to indicate that these 24 represent the redeemed. The living creatures and elders repeatedly fall before the throne in adoration and worship. It says, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The harp, the 24 elders, representative of the redeemed church, played their harps, this is cool for you, in praise and in a symbolic indication that all the prophets had said was about to be fulfilled. So that was a stringed instrument. Literal harp. They were playing their harp. With golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And these prayers represent all that the redeemed have ever prayed concerning ultimate and final redemption. So golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Kind of brings a new respect to me when I thought about how Jesus told us how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So the prayers of the saints, many of which have remained without answer for thousands of years, will find their fulfillment in the events to come. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. And they sang a new song. And they sang it. Imagine this. Imagine this group of folk, this choir. Worthy are you to take the book. You'll be there. And to break its seal. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It says they sang the Greek verb to sing. It's in the present tense. It means they are singing now. So they sang a new song or new in quality. It anticipates the final glorious redemption that God is about to begin. Isn't that amazing? They're singing about this. They're singing about what's about to happen because of an understanding 
the Lamb got the scroll. And now everything that's been promised by the prophets of old and throughout the ages is all now going to come to pass. Finally, it's going to come to pass. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, purchased. So redemption involves a purchased. And those who are purchased by this redemption are no longer their own. So you're not your own. You're Christ's. Amen? Somebody say out loud, I am Christ's. You're no longer your own. The purchase price for the redeemed was not made with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the life of the Son of the Man, by the Son of Man who gave his life a ransom for many. So when it's talking about you were slain and purchased, they're singing this to him. You were purchased for God. I can't wait to hear how that is. What's the tune? What's the melody? Of this, what's this sound like? Purchase for God with your blood. They're they're worshiping. They're at all of heaven is adoring the one that has the scroll, and they're worshiping him about his redemption and about his act of giving his life as a ransom for many. So the sacrificial death of Christ on behalf of sinners made him worthy to take the scroll. And, and you're going to be there with Paul and Elijah, Solomon and Ezekiel and Daniel. And they will be as real to you as we are real to each other. And we're going to be singing, worthy is the lamb. Worthy, worthy. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The global emphasis of this book is seen in this phrase. The globe, the entire, the entire globe. The redeemed come out of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, and all tongues. So these four categories denote global extent. And lastly, in verse 10, it says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, for they will reign upon the earth. Kingdom and, kingdom and priests, for you have made them to be a kingdom and priests. So even though we are described as a royal priesthood now, this is only a preliminary thing to the fullness of the way that we're going to function alongside Christ in the millennial kingdom. We're going to be part of his reign. Um, it says, and they will reign upon the earth. That's you. The saints will be given power over the nations, and we will co-rule with Christ. Man, so God can take the... He can save you from the guttermost... No matter who you are, he's going to take that person, how you used to be, in the deadness of your sin. You believed. He paid the price for you. Time's going to come when you're not here, and you're going to come back again and reign with Christ. Amen. Reign with Christ. That's the place he's going to put you at. Man. Um, they will reign, future tense, on the earth in fulfillment of the petition of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So I want to finish out by reading verses 11 through 14. It says, And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. 
saying with a loud voice, he's going to say it again, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. So, amen. You want to pray? Thank you for joining us at Sermons by Brad Tuttle. We pray this sermon blessed you encouraged you, inspired you, and challenged you in your walk with Christ. Thank you for being with us, and come back and visit us anytime. God bless you.